Hollywood has had its share of controversy and conspiracy theories. Whether it began with Elizabeth Smart, the Black Dahlia, or not, the question remains, is there really a cabal of people that rule the industry of movie making in Hollywood? Are these people using actors, actresses, and production companies to enact their own will? We'll look at several of the different experiences that people have had in and outside of the entertainment industry in Hollywood and how it has affected their lives and been covered up by the machine. That's what we'll discuss tonight. Good evening, everyone, and welcome to Awoke. Awoke is a podcast about the mysteries of this world conspiracy, the supernatural, and prophecies. They all fall under the guise of this podcast. Our goal is to open your third eye to assist you to be awoke from the veil of illusion the world has placed you under and by doing so allow you to see the world as it is. There's a lot of anecdotal evidence that there is a small group within Hollywood behind the scenes or maybe even in front of cameras that are attempting to manipulate and to use actors, actresses, singers, songwriters, people in the limelight to do their bidding. To what end? For what purpose? is really completely a mystery. But there have been many stories that on surface look to be innocent and innocuous, but when one digs deeper, they do present themselves as something sinister. I'd like to address some of those stories and maybe propose to you some theories and ideas that I've come up with on why this is, in fact, the case that our Hollywood machine is trying to cause people discomfort, distress in their occupations as actors and actresses. Really, I first started becoming aware of this um, around the turn of the century when I started to notice certain personalities within the entertainment industry behaving oddly. And when I say behaving oddly, let's put that into a, a contextual reference. Obviously, someone who makes millions and millions of dollars and 
behaves a specific way are often considered odd and weird and strange. And that in itself is a large reason of why people gravitate to them because they're out of the ordinary. They're outside of what we consider the norm. And so therefore they're entertaining. But when I say someone is acting outside of the ordinary or they're acting strange, I'm speaking from the baseline that they've set for themselves from their previous behaviors. And so they're not acting quote unquote themselves. I read a story about Randy Quaid uh, about a year ago and about what he uh, referred to uh, as the Hollywood uh, celebrity killers, I believe it was, and that these people were a small cabal that actually were going around setting people up, trying to kill people, trying to um, use them for their purposes. And I thought it was quite interesting. You know, I I apologize. It wasn't killers. It was actually the Hollywood star whackers. So they were whacking people. And through his story... He quotes different uh, other actors that he's come in encounters with that felt that they were part of uh, the target of this cabal. He also um, discusses how he was basically put against the wall, uh, metaphorically, um, to make certain decisions that he didn't agree with and by doing so people came after him people were trying to do him in now when you read this story it's very easy to go along with the narrative um, of the media that he's crazy delusional that he is uh, trying to escape prosecution for other crimes but What's interesting is those are a lot of the tools that the government will use to try to and discredit a person, that law enforcement will use to try and discredit a witness. And that word crazy is very, you know, often used to cloud a person's perception to create doubt about someone telling a story. And then they stick the whole conspiracy theory uh, moniker on us that I like to wear gladly. But they do it because they're trying to discredit the people sharing these stories. Listen, folks, I'm not telling you to believe anything I say or think I just tell you what I've come to understand and I believe and ask you just to question the official story 
that you're given to never accept what the quote unquote truth is that people, the government, and media would have you believe. I've spent a good part of my life working within the government. I've had certain levels of clearances that have made it possible for me to see behind some of the veil. I also have worked in very important buildings that most people don't ever get to go in. Now, I will tell you, from those experiences, I will never give you direct evidence or testimony of the things I've seen or heard because I value my anonymity and freedom. But it's changed my perception. It caused me to learn how to look beyond the uh, official story and to pick up on certain keywords, phrases, uh, the appearance of impropriety so that I could better understand where to look for the different um, telltale signs of deception and how to decipher that and find a relatively reasonable uh, explanation of what the truth really is. So just keep your mind open. Keep your opinion available to be persuaded. I'm not asking you to subscribe to this stuff. I am asking you to subscribe to my channel, but I'm not asking you to subscribe to my beliefs. I'm just asking you to hear me out and give it a, a thought. Question what you hear. Question what I tell you even to that extent. So, Randy Quaid uh, is probably the best example of someone uh, standing against this cabal, if you will. Uh, he has uh, arrest warrants out for him in the United States for skipping out on uh, hotel checks, uh, squatting illegally in a house that was formerly his. And he says a lot of it has to do with uh, the desire of certain entities to steal his royalties, to take from him the money that he's earning on residuals from different movies uh, that he's done. And while that seems rather innocent and n I guess not malevolent, not on a, a, an extreme level, but it makes you wonder if we're just scraping the iceberg, if uh, we just hit the tip, if you if you will, of the iceberg, and that there's so much more under the water that we're not seeing. And if we look at other 
such uh, experiences that people in Hollywood have had, we can start to put together a collage of stories that kind of lead to a a larger narrative. Now, one of my favorite ones, uh, to be quite honest, is, I don't know, there's something about Mariah Carey that I just uh, am drawn to. She's a very lovely woman. She has a very gorgeous, gorgeous singing voice and always seems to be very chipper. Back in, I want to believe it was 2001, um, she went on TRL, which I don't even know if it's still around on TV. It was uh, uh, Carson Daly, I believe, and it was uh, TRL standard, stood for, uh, oh, I forget what it stood for now. Isn't that crazy? But basically, it was like a top 40s uh, TV show. Um where uh, artists would come on, music would be playing, they had a little studio audience. Um, I think it was Top Request Live or something to that effect. I know the RL was Request Live. And uh, she came on it and started making a lot of um, abnormal statements, such as... um, All I know is I just want one day off when I can go swimming and look at a rainbow and like eat ice cream, maybe even learn how to ride a bicycle. Now, on their face, these comments don't seem weird or strange. They seem pretty innocuous and innocent. But you have to remember, they just came came out of the blue as she was saying these things. And then a couple of days later, she was actually hospitalized into a mental facility. Now, I told you to be careful about the word crazy and that you'd hear that a lot and that you'd hear, you're going to hear of people being put into treatment facilities and mental facilities and um, substance abuse facilities and that they're taking time off for exhaustion. These are all key words. These are all key words that we had to get this person out of the limelight. That we had to remove them from a position where they were speaking out and about to divulge information that may have been harmful to this cabal. And when they stick people in these facilities and they are treated, what happens? What kind of treatment is it? When you tag a a medical determination on it, it really frees you up to not have to disclose the type of information of what kind of treatment that person is getting because it's a violation of their patient privacy. It's a way of hiding in plain sight secrets about what is actually happening. You know, one of my favorite uh, actors and comedians is Dave Chappelle. 
was what about a decade ago, a little under a decade ago. Dave Chappelle was very uh, very popular comedian. He was one of the biggest draws on Comedy Central and uh, had completed two very successful seasons of his television show, The Chappelle Show. Had a few uh, very high-profile guests, had a very uh, uh, broad range of skits that were well-received and that were uh, recurring. You know, you always can understand the success of a show as the, the more recurring roles and, and how they're followed, um, especially on a, um, you know, like a variety show like that. So on the third season, Dave Chappelle is got a new contract. He's making 50 million dollars and is coming to work doing things and he realizes something's wrong and so in the middle of taping when on a break he actually goes on his break calls one person only one person, a friend of his, tells them where he's going. Doesn't even call his wife for kids. Tells his friend, I'm going to South Africa. I've got to get away from this. And he leaves. Now, first thing that the studio and the executives do is say that Dave Chappelle has taken a, uh, a break from taping um, because he's exhausted. Um, because he's sick. Because he's not mentally well. This is the go-to. This is the go-to for that society. Is anything can be explained by either mental exhaustion or mental defect. Because what happens is when you do that, it takes all of the responsibility off everybody but that one person that you want to put the focus on they bear all the responsibility for being quote unquote crazy but Dave Chappelle wasn't crazy later on many 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 years ago or uh, after excuse me he actually disclosed why that he was filming a skit and it was uh, very sensitive about a lot of the stuff he does. Very sensitive. Uh, it was attacking, you know, uh, racial biases and and um, concepts that people hold, and trying to dispel certain uh, mythology of it. And and what's interesting to me is that's what I loved about his show is that he would take upon himself to not just entertain people, but to push against the narrative, to push against um, this, this society of um, political correctness that 
we could learn more about ourselves by not being politically correct, by pushing the boundary of um, politeness and and uh, be out there, be cutting edge, be offensive, but to a way that's funny. And it was that offensive part that really got it, I think, for him because he explains a story about how he was doing a skit about different races and uh, the one race that he was dealing with at the time of the filming was African-Americans and that the African-American would have a, as he called it, a pixie or like a, like a conscience or like, you know, your conscience and it would pop up on your shoulder, kind of like Jiminy Cricket, you know. And it would uh, say something to you to advise you of what to do. And that the pixie that he chose for the African-American person was uh, a person in blackface. And if you don't know what that is in reference to, I don't really want to get into it. um, But you can Google it and you can understand why that was chosen. And he was trying to push the the boundaries of comfort, you know, get people uncomfortable so that something could be learned, but something could be enjoyed at the same time. And there could be some laughter. And he said that when he was doing this on the set, he actually saw someone laugh, but they laughed in a way that didn't seem like laughter, but more like uh, a maniacal laugh, a, uh, uh, an evil overtone, and that it it hit him. That what am I doing? How has what I created become something that I don't love anymore? It's become something that has sickened me, and. That was just the straw in the back uh, of breaking the camel's back for him. He also tells another story about he was doing a pilot, I believe it was for Fox, and they were putting it together and they'd filmed the pilot and he had gone in front of the, uh, the board of producers and directors and executives and they said to him you know yeah this was funny this was funny this was good but this 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 character didn't really hit with the audiences I think we should probably switch this person out for somebody a little different maybe you know they started using code speak instead of just saying we want to recast this person as a white female and not a black female. So they started saying, you know, a little more uh, ethnically uh, diverse and all these key trigger words. And he said, no, I don't want to do that. I think it's good the way it is. And so then it comes out the next day that he played the quote-unquote race card with the executives. Now, that really kind of, you know, stuck in my brain a little bit and irked me. Here's a man that's saying, this is what I've created and I don't want to capitulate 
or pander to certain demographics by switching out a character. I like the character the way it is. I like all the different characters the way they are. I'd like to keep it the way I wrote it. While on the other side of the table, they are trying to manipulate him into picking somebody of a different race by using um, words that are, again, um, appropriate, politically correct. And so I would argue that they were playing the race card on him. So he refuses to do it, and that show uh, actually didn't go anywhere. And they smeared him in the press, but he hasn't gone into great full detail of everything that has happened to him. But he did, in a comedy show, discuss the way he felt to a book that he had read about a pimp during the, I want to say it was the 50s, and how he would, or 60s maybe, how he would break down women and get them to prostitute for them. That he would beat them within an inch of their life, but then nurse them back to health and create this very chaotic and unbalanced relationship. And that he felt that that was the way he had been treated, that he had been beaten down and whipped and he would reach a certain level where he just couldn't do anymore, where he would break. But he would be nursed back to health by these same tormentors so that they could get what they want, so that they could um, make the money that they wanted. Because don't get, you, don't, don't get me wrong. Being an actor, being an entertainer can be fun. But there are so many remoras that attach to the, the prize shark that live off of the scraps that shark is leaving behind when it feeds. That those remoras start to become bigger and bigger and bigger. And finally, they start trying to control the direction which the shark moves. And when they do, the shark becomes... Just an object. Just a shell of themselves. And that's how he felt. And that the political, the social ramifications were played out in the media, causing his personage to really be damaged. That he was libeled and slandered. Making it hard for him to work. Until like, you know, things like Netflix came along and he can do, you know, things on Netflix, you know, and Hulu and Amazon, stuff like that. To get away from the good old boy system, the monopoly that this cabal is holding. And in fact, with the uh, advent of Netflix and Amazon... Prime and, and other uh, such venues for watching and producing uh, entertainment that they actually 
created these things to bring, break the Hollywood monopoly, to bring it down, to basically reset the entertainment industry into what it really should be, and to break the control of these um, cabals. So you're you're seeing it before your very eyes. The, the, the bringing down of this cabal but you can't go public with it it has to be surreptitious because if you do try to make it public they'll take you down we have the example of Martin Lawrence who was actually quite influential in David uh, David Chappelle's uh, of life and they actually uh, were in a movie together Blue Streak where Martin Lawrence was at one point running near naked through the streets of, you know, L.A. Chanting, ranting, excuse me, ranting, not chanting, ranting and raving that people are out to get him, that they're trying to kill him with a gun. He's got a gun in his hand. I mean, and what happens? He's taken into custody and... You know, he's exhausted. He's uh, dehydrated. Uh, he's just not himself right now. Well, yeah, I know he's not himself. But dehydration has never made me want to run around saying that people are trying to kill me. It hasn't made me delusional, as you would lead us to believe. And Dave Chappelle gives another great example of his time during Blue Streak. Uh, when... He was asked to wear a dress as uh, him and Martin Lawrence are breaking out of prison for him to dress up as a hooker, basically. And Dave Chappelle's like, no, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not dressing up as a woman. Yeah, well, you know, they think it would be funny and, you know, that all the it's, it's been done so many times. It's classic bit. And, you know, Dave Chappelle's like. It's been done so many times. It's been done. You know, why why don't we do something else? Yeah, yeah, you know, that, but it's still funny. And, and they just keep cajoling and cajoling you into doing what they want to make money. But at the same time, to lower your stock value. You know, um, a great example is... Um, they typecast you because they want to control you. They want to keep you where you can't branch out, where you can't become too powerful unless you're one of them. Unless you're a play ball kind of guy. And that makes me think of, to be quite honest, um, Scientology, Tom Cruise, Will Smith, people like that. You know, uh, it, it's interesting. Uh, we don't think much of it. People don't give it much consideration, but the death of Philip Seymour Hoffman was a open and closed book case to most of a man who went back to drug addiction and, and accidentally killed himself by overdosing. 
But this man who was addicted to heroin had been clean for 22 years. You don't often see someone that's been off the horse for 22 years accidentally go back to it. Because to be that successful for that long amount of time, you had to have changed a lot of your behaviors and a lot of the people that you surrounded yourself with. You had to have left that old lifestyle behind. And so, unfortunately, because people don't compartmentalize stuff like that, they just wildly accept that Philip Seymour Hoffman killed himself accidentally with heroin. But what is most noteworthy of that, and what makes me question the narrative, if you will, is that Right before his death, Philip Seymour Hoffman had actually done a film that was called The Master. And it was a symbolic movie about L. Ron Hubbard, the head of Scientology. Now... What's interesting is when they found Philip Seymour Hoffman, the needle still stuck in his vein. Most people, they don't get the rush of the heroin that quickly. It takes a second or two, long enough that you can take the needle out. Most people don't leave the needle in. They, they take it out. It would be silly. I mean, it looks staged to have the needle sticking out of someone's arm, right? They found large amounts of heroin, like tons, not tons, obviously, but let's say 40 plus bags of heroin, 40 plus bags of heroin. That's a lot of heroin for someone who just fell off the wagon. Again, making it look like a staged event. A lot of people said um, that some people within the Scientology community actually approached Hoffman and asked him to stop filming the movie, asked him not to do what he was doing, that there was pressure for him not to go forward with his project. And we all know that Scientology has gotten a big foothold within the Hollywood community. It's really it's really interesting that we can just accept it on face value. And we hear other people coming out against Scientology like I, I'll probably mispronounce her name but I believe it's Leah Remini. Um, she had a whole show on it for uh a couple episodes on TV. There's something going on there. There is a very strong association between Scientology and power 
and control within the movie making and entertainment industries. And I don't think that it's something that is so benign that we should just not give it any credence. I think it's something that needs to be investigated, that needs to be delved into deeply. Back to back to uh, Randy Quaid. You know, Randy Quaid was typecast quite a bit too. You know, they always wanted him to play his cousin Eddie type characters. Oh, you know, I mean, Independence Day movie with Will Smith, a movie with Will Smith. Independence Day, he was that drunk, crazy pilot that had been probed by aliens before and they messed him up. And so he was this very strange and weird person. Brokeback Mountain, Heath Ledger. Are you seeing a connection here? There's certain people that are connected, whether it be on one side or the other. You know, Heath Ledger, a lot of people think that he got deep into the character of um, the Joker and that that's what drove him crazy and caused him to, you know, caused him to die, caused him to, you know, uh, kill himself. Again, again, using the narrative that somebody was crazy, that, that their mental instability is what caused them to die. That we use the insanity plea, if you will, to put into question their strength to, to persevere through normal, everyday um, problems and, and uh, stressors. It's interesting. But anyhow, back to Randy Quaid. Randy Quaid actually uh, addressed a couple of people that he felt were um, also having problems with this cabal. Uh, one of them being David Carradine. And he felt that David Carradine was um, killed, but made it look like he was uh, committed suicide or s strangely died under circumstances nobody could explain. But again, that they did this so that they could, you know, um, get to his royalties. David Carradine was a big deal back in 70s, early 80s. I mean, this guy, you know, he was Cain. He he walked the earth looking for justice and using, you know, kung fu as a way to solve people's problems and help people that were disenfranchised by society out. I don't know. I... I... I I just, I can't accept the everyday stories that the media shares with us, that, that the entertainment in industry would have us digest. And here's why. 
and I'm not going to tell you who it is, but somebody that's in the know once said that people in the entertainment industry, whether it be, you know, movies, songs, television shows, books, um, animated shorts, whatever, whatever have you, anything that is consumed by the population to entertain them that the swamp, if you will, the government swamp, the cabal in Hollywood, the people that are in the power-making positions use those people to express their narrative, their reality. They use it to push ideals out to the public to change perception. The media does it to change your perception of political figures and other figures within the limelight so that you see them a specific way, the way they they want you to see them. They do this so that they can control the narrative. The entertainment industry does it uh, with aliens, with other phenomenon like that, and we'll talk about that someday in the very near future. That if all the information about aliens that the powers that be knew about were disseminated in mass to the public, most people would just not be able to believe it. They just would not be able to handle it. They just would not accept. And so they use these entertainment industry people to drip information out, to trickle it out ever so gently. So it's more palatable to you, much like putting the frog in warm water and turning up the stove until it's boiling. They're doing this to you to condition your perception, to cloud your judgment, to make you passive consumer sheep that they can market to subliminally product placement so that they can put out their social narrative that's the best one where they put specific types of characters in every show to make it seem mainstream I'm not trying to create drama here with a certain portion of the population but there's been this large push to have homosexual couples or characters in movies in commercials just as they had a large push on interracial couples uh, decades back listen there's nothing wrong with interracial couples there's nothing wrong with homosexual couples Personally, I don't care. Do whatever you want. Just don't ask me to do something I don't want to do. I'll do me, you do you, you know what I mean? But the powers that be want this to be a societal norm. To to have the population embrace non-traditional family... Um, constructs and someday 
we'll go into why that is as well because I have a whole theory on that as well. And so your commercials, if you watch a lot of these commercials, they're very progressive. Almost all the commercials, if they have like four or five different scenes of different people, you'll see where they've placed a homosexual couple in one of them because they're trying to manipulate the way you perceive the world because one out of five is 20%, but 20% of the population is not homosexual. And so, the, but they would have you believe that it's a larger population than it is. And that's why the media gives uh, a larger voice to such a small community. It's a, an opportunity for them to shape the narrative that you hear and see. And by doing so, to control your behaviors and the behaviors of the mass in general. I'm not saying it's overly insidious, but they're not being upfront with you. It's it's rather interesting. I had a, a couple more things I wanted to speak of, but we're kind of up against it time-wise. You know, I also wanted to bring up, um, like I said, David Carradine, but um, Jeremy Piven. Um, was having a decent career going and it got derailed. You know, you have several other actors and actresses within history in the entertainment industry that have either died mysteriously or um, disappeared and nobody can explain what it is, you know. Um, Bob Crane from Hogan's Heroes had a very mysterious death. Heck, Marilyn Monroe. One of the biggest Hollywood conspiracies next to Elizabeth Smart that anybody can really remember. You know, how did Marilyn Monroe die? You know, everybody wants to point to, you know, the fact that she was not only glamorous, but doomed from the beginning because of all that instant success that she had. And that, again, because of accidental overdose, she just couldn't, she couldn't handle it. It was just too overwhelming for her and it caused her downfall you know that's just too convenient for me you know Natalie Wood um, the whole to take it to a different level with music like we did with Mariah you know the whole Tupac and Biggie situation and Dolores O'Riordan even um, she died very mysteriously just in the middle of the night in a hotel room in London um, where she was trying to uh, revamp her career and and was uh, recording a new album, you know? It's very, very interesting. When you hear of a Hollywood death, uh, a celebrity death, or a celebrity downfall, or again, with the keyword, someone going crazy, don't give it the just passerby opinion don't accept the, uh, the the prepackaged freeze-dried instant microwave explanation they give you examine it be cognizant that what they're telling you may not be the truth 
You know, have critical thinking about it. Question it. By doing so, you may gain a new insight. You may enlighten yourselves. You may enlighten others. And you might just become awoke. Mm-hmm.